Church Audio, striving to introduce people to Jesus through scripture, biblical instruction, and prayer with authenticity and vibrancy. You don't need to know anything about the Bible. Just sit back, relax, and let God do the rest. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and leave a rating and review. And please consider supporting this ministry through a tax-deductible donation at mountainview.church. That's mountainview.church slash give. Now here's this week's message. Let's say you and I were making plans to go out with some friends. We're meeting up with the whole crew at our favorite restaurant. In the middle of setting a date and time, I asked you if I could bring another friend along that's not normally part of our group. You're on the fence about it, and you say, well, maybe, but what are they like? Now, I begin describing them to you, you know, what they do for work, their family situation, maybe a couple of their hobbies, and then I add the caveat that my friend is a follower of Jesus. Depending on your background and familiarity with Christianity, you might not even know what that means, a follower of Jesus. Assuming you have some idea who Jesus is, Uh, are you more or less likely to include them after hearing that scripture? Perhaps a better question is, what does my friend look like in your mind's eye after hearing that they're a follower of Jesus? What does a follower of Jesus look like? Now, let's flip the script a little bit. What if I was describing them, but instead of saying my friend was a follower of Jesus, I said that they were a disciple of Jesus? Does their appearance change at all in your mind? What does a disciple of Jesus look like? Does a follower of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus look the same? What do you envision in your mind? Take a moment, pause the video if you need to. What default appearance comes to your brain when you hear those descriptors? What do they look like? This week, we're going to challenge our preconceived ideas of what type of person becomes a follower of Jesus. We'll answer the big question, who can become a disciple of Jesus? This will be our introductory conversation for a new series we're doing this month titled, Follow Me, Becoming a Disciple of Jesus. Over the next four weeks, we'll walk through four stages of discipleship that many scholars have suggested mirror the stages of life. We'll begin with the wonder and big questions of spiritual infancy, which transitions into childhood as scriptural knowledge increases and spiritual growth becomes evident. Then discipleship enters into teen years, for lack of a better term. They're mentored by more experienced followers of Jesus while they're developing their spiritual gifts. The hope is, is that every teenager will reach adulthood, right? That teenagers arrive at a level of spiritual maturity and a desire to multiply as far as the discipleship realm goes. Spiritual adults are disciples who aid in the effort to bring more people into discipleship and become mature followers of Jesus. That is where we're going in this series. But now let's come back to the beginning when someone first chooses to follow Jesus. That moment of spiritual infancy, when someone begins their discipleship journey, who are they? What are they like? What kind of person follows Jesus? 
The best example we have to begin answering this question is found in the book of Matthew, found in the Bible, the first book of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, you can access one easily. You can visit Bible.com or you can download a Bible app on your mobile device. And if you'd like a physical Bible like I have here, you can text the number on the screen and we'll send you one in the mail. And if you're attending in one of our physical gatherings, you can find a Bible under the seat in front of you. We're going to be going to Matthew chapter 9. Now, if you're not sure where Matthew is, you don't know how to find it, there is a table of contents in the Bible. If you're using an app, just search Matthew 9, okay? So Matthew is actually the first book in the New Testament. Once you get the page number, you can get there. Go to chapter 9, and we're actually going to be starting at verse 9. While you're getting there, I want to add a small note that we'll be reading from the book of Matthew about Matthew. And we're going to be reading specifically when Jesus called him, Matthew, to be his disciples. I should add that there's some scholarly debate on who wrote the book of Matthew. Some scholars believe that Matthew actually wrote down this account of Jesus' life and ministry himself, while other scholars believe that it was an unnamed author who wrote down Matthew's account using some notes that he had or other accounts that Matthew might have passed on. Nevertheless, it has been authenticated in a major way and really been authenticated more than any other document in antiquities. So we can accept that these events that happened uh, here that are described are true. Okay? With that note in mind, let's get into our passage. Hi, I'm Dagmar. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 to 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in a house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The greatest part about this account where Jesus calls Matthew to be his disciple is that it directly answers today's big question, who can become a disciple of Jesus? The answer is anyone can become a disciple of Jesus, anyone. But maybe you're wondering, how do we get that answer from Matthew's account? Let's take a deeper look at two verses in particular, 9 and 10, and we're going to find out. So I'm going to read this first part of verse 9, chapter 9 again for us. Here's what it says. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. Jesus sees Matthew sitting at the tax booth, not a tax booth, but the tax booth. This is important information. This account takes place during the first century when the Roman Empire ruled most of the modern world. Roman territory included a region called Judea that God had previously given to the people of Israel. At this point, Jewish people were under the oppression of Roman rule. And one of the many challenges of being ruled by Rome was that every household had to pay taxes to the emperor, Caesar. Money was collected on a regular basis at these tax booths. Then they were carried over 200 miles to the imperial treasury in Rome. Imagine that for a moment. 
having to pay a portion of your hard-earned income to some foreign emperor who has no real care or concern for your people or your nation. It's brutal. But now let's talk about these tax booths. Every small community or neighborhood had a tax booth, seemingly to make it convenient for people to pay, but more likely to maintain control. They would have had Roman guards set outside to keep control, probably, but the actual tax collectors were often locals. You heard that correctly. A local citizen employed by a foreign power to collect taxes from their own people. It's crazy. The idea was that people would be more likely to pay and less likely to revolt against a local community member, or at least someone from their own nationality. It was a fool's errand. The people despised tax collectors even more. Not only were they collecting foreign taxes, they were betraying their own people. Believe it or not, it gets worse. Tax collectors were known to set their own rates slightly higher than what Rome was asking for. Then the soldiers turned a blind eye, either because they were getting a cut as well, or they were instructed to by Rome just as long as the Romans got their steady supply of taxes. This system was so corrupt. Whatever percentage the Roman treasury required was the baseline. The tax collector held all the power over their local community. And Matthew... <laughs> Matthew was a tax collector at the tax booth for that community. Everyone would have known who Matthew was, and everyone would have hated him. He would have been the least popular person, likely within 5 to 10 mile radius of that tax booth. Now let's get back to verse 9. So he's sitting there at the tax booth. Here's what happens. And he, Jesus, said to him, follow me. And he, Matthew, rose and followed. This moment proves that anyone can become a follower of Jesus. Think about the shock and awe in the public square that day. A rabbi, a religious teacher, calls a tax collector to be his disciple. Never mind the whispers in the crowd, there would have been public scorn. They would have been yelling, he's a betrayer of his people. He cheats and steals from his own community. The other disciples would have been absolutely ashamed and probably angry to be associated with such a scoundrel. And yet, Jesus saw him, loved him, and wanted him. Jesus sees the potential in the most corrupt and despised individual. Jesus met Matthew at the beginning of his faith journey, at spiritual infancy, knowing who he would become under Jesus' care and guidance as he grew through the stages of discipleship. It actually gets better in the next verse. Check this out. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Once again, anyone can become a disciple of Jesus. So much so that he's actually gathering for a meal, seemingly with the local tax collector's guild and some other less savory characters. These are the most detestable people in that local community, and Jesus, a rabbi who is supposed to be hanging out with the spiritual right righteous people, is reclining at the table with them. This is absolutely crazy. 
It's a crazy situation for this time period. And why later on in the account, the Pharisees, which are the religious leaders of that community, try to cause division among the disciples. We don't know for sure because the text doesn't clarify, but some of these people may have in fact become followers of Jesus in the weeks or months after this encounter. What is clear from Matthew's calling is that there is no prior knowledge or behavior that is required to begin following Jesus. There is no tradition, background, or heritage that makes someone more or less likely to be a disciple of Jesus. There is no racial, social, or socioeconomic classification that brings someone closer or further away from Jesus. Anyone, anyone, anyone can become a disciple of Jesus. This account is also extremely important for those of us who have been following Jesus for a number of years, especially when we think about our stages of discipleship. For some of us, it's been a long time since we were in that spiritual infants and toddlers stage. It's been a long time since we were filled with the wonder of following Jesus and asking those deep foundational faith questions. Some of us grew up in the church and received a pile of knowledge from the Bible about God and the church and Jesus before we ever started following him. That knowledge didn't save us. Instead, like the apostle Peter taught the early church, we needed to be like newborn infants, longing for pure spiritual milk, that by it, we may grow up into salvation. We have to remember where we started in our faith journey not just for ourselves to recognize and appreciate the spiritual growth that is happening inside of us, but for how we interact with those who are just starting their journey. Why is this important? Because understanding aids our expectation, and expectation aids our action. By understanding the stages of discipleship and specifically understanding what spiritual infancy looks like, our expectations of that person's actions, their speech and behavior, are kept in check. Like Jesus, we'll be able to share a meal with anyone without assuming a standard of knowledge or demanding any kind of righteousness from them. We will have grace for those who are new followers of Jesus. Furthermore, how we interact with new and developing disciples says a lot about our own discipleship journey. If you claim to have reached spiritual adulthood and maturity, it is understood through scriptural instruction that you'll be active in the discipleship of someone else. That's part of it. Jesus calls us to align with his work of caring for and guiding new disciples. Jesus calls us to grow into disciples who make disciples. That's part of the great mission he gave us, where he said, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations.'" In later on in Matthew 28, verse 19. What happens when a local church or a gathering of disciples neglects or rejects this call by Jesus? Well, the new disciples either find a new local church or they walk away altogether. Why is that? You're probably wondering. Well, it has a lot to do with the beautiful wonder for Jesus and deep questions they have. You see, if mature disciples aren't fulfilling their responsibility to care for and guide new disciples, their wonder can be doused by fear of the unknown. And those foundational questions that are so amazing, 
they go unanswered, which can result in waves of doubt for that new disciple. We cannot miss how important it is to align with Jesus to care for and guide these new disciples. I would suggest to you that the evidence of spiritual maturity in a local church is found in the disciples of that church and whether or not they have the desire to make disciples. If you're just exploring faith or at the beginning stages of discipleship, Matthew's story is incredible news for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus is more concerned with your future than your past. It doesn't matter how religious or spiritual you are. Jesus is offering a relationship, not a religion. If you continue reading the book of Matthew, and I would encourage you to do so, you'll find out that Jesus continued to challenge religious and political ideals and social norms. The authorities hated him for it. He was actually arrested, and then he was executed by being nailed to a cross. He died and was buried, but thankfully it was all part of God's plan. Jesus was and is God's son, and his death would be the punishment for humanity's sin, which is the wrong things that you and I think, say, and do. Miraculously, he rose from death three days later and ascended to heaven soon after. Jesus promised that all those who would confess him as Lord or master and believe that God raised him from the dead would enter into heaven after their death. Jesus loves you and he's calling you to follow him. He wants to guide you and care for you as you journey through this life with him. Right now, if you feel him calling, and you might be, I would encourage you to pause and pray. You can pray with me and give your life to Jesus. You can make a choice today to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. If you'd like to do that, let's pray. Dear Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. You are such a holy, righteous God. I could never work my way to you. I could never do enough good. I could never repay the things I've done, never mind the things I've thought. I understand that all of that prevents me from entering into your presence. But I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross as a sacrifice for my sin, all that wrong. And he paid for it on my behalf. And though he died and was buried, he rose three days later and he conquered sin and death. I believe this to be true. Today, I choose to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. God, send your Holy Spirit into my life. Renew me, transform me. I ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Over the next three weeks, we'll continue working through the stages of discipleship, unpacking these benchmarks of growth and development that eventually lead to spiritual adulthood. I would encourage you to subscribe and follow along so that you can determine what stage you're at and where Jesus is leading you next. Now, before you go, I want to give you something to talk about and pray about with your friends and family that might be watching with you. If you're watching alone, please drop a few comments in the comment stream. We value all the feedback we can receive. So here we go. 
Question number one, what stage of discipleship do you believe you're currently journeying through? What stage of discipleship do you believe you're currently journeying through? We're all in different stages. We're learning, we're growing, and you're in a certain spot, and you're probably going to be the best one to determine that. But if you're having trouble, you can always ask someone who knows you really well, who's also a believer in Jesus, and they'll be able to help you. Uh, It's a good place to start, to know where as we uh, start this series. Uh, Question number two, how have you been aiding in someone's discipleship or being discipled this year? Okay, I'm going to ask that again. How have you been aiding in someone's discipleship this year or have you been discipled this year? Okay, so depending on where you're at in the stage, you might actually be discipling someone. And that's a beautiful thing. That's amazing. But you might be kind of earlier on in your journey and someone's kind of mentoring you and investing in you. How does that look like right now for you in this past year? Talk about it. Uh, Once you have those questions uh, locked in and you've talked about those, I want to ask that with the group uh, that you're at right now, just spend some time and pray. And, And I would like to ask you to pray for this, that Mountain View Church or your local church, wherever you're at, because I understand you might be watching from another place, that you would spend some time praying that Mountain View or your local church would be a church that embraces discipleship with and for Jesus. That Mountain View would be a church that embraces discipleship with and for Jesus. Thank you again so much for watching and being a part of Mountain View Church. Uh, Before we go, just want to plug next week. Next week, we move from spiritual infancy to spiritual childhood. And that's when kind of knowledge really starts to set in and certain discipleship behaviors and and, uh, decisions are made. There's a lot of cool stuff that happens in childhood, much like childhood in our physical sense and our mental sense. Uh, There's huge growth curve there and and lots of great things happen. Same thing happens in spiritual discipleship and in the spiritual stages of growth in childhood. So really important if you have children or grandchildren and uh, you'll learn a lot, I promise. All right, so we'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Mountain View Church Audio. If you've given your life to Jesus today or would like to join, serve, or support Mountain View Church, please let us know at mountainview.church slash connect. That's mountainview.church slash connect. Have a blessed week.